Hello, and welcome to the final episode of Series 2 of The Dirt. This episode is in association with Beer 52, so keep listening to find out how you can get your hands on a fabulous crate of eight craft beers for free. Just pay postage. Anyway, this is the growing podcast that offers plenty of sage advice. I'm Laura, editor of Grow Your Own magazine. And I'm G. Rose, Deputy Blake. As ever, the team will be discussing the latest horticultural news and we have some jobs on the plot for you for the week ahead. But first, closing out the series, we are joined by horticulturist, garden broadcaster, writer and GYO contributor Anne Swithenbank. Hello, Anne. Hello. Welcome to the dirt. Hi, how are you? I'm fine, thank you. How are you two? Yes, good, thank you. We've actually had some rain this morning here in Ipswich, so the garden, I think, is very happy about that. Oh, we've had some in Devon as well. And yes, the garden will be very, very happy. Um, So how have you found um, gardening in this strange year your how has your garden fared over lockdown and everything well I've been around more so it's been wonderful because I usually travel about quite a lot giving talks and you know visiting various places and uh, so obviously I've been in the garden a lot more so yeah pulling out more weeds and growing more crops it's been great yeah I think it's been a real source of comfort to a lot of people as well and I think that's been really lovely to see that that's really come through hasn't it so many people are you know out there enjoying their gardens and enjoying the wildlife in their gardens and really I don't know just feeling that satisfaction from being able to grow some of their own food too which I think at the start of all the you know the lockdown problems we had when a lot of people were kind of emptying the shop shelves mm. a bit that that was just really comforting wasn't it to be able to feel that you could grow something at home yes definitely um so being at this sort of time of year that we're at now what are you harvesting at the moment Ah, right. Well, we're still harvesting runner beans because I'm very, they're my favourite veg. So I make sure I do, oh, I probably made about four sowings altogether, I should think, yeah. so that we get them coming in a kind of relay. <laughs> and I've got still got some that are just about flowering now in the hope that we'll have a really nice autumn and they'll crop because I have had beans coming, you know, right into November before now in, in East Devon. Possibly not something you could contemplate in some of the more northerly um, parts of the country, but uh, yeah, we can do it here. And sweet corn, of course, there's still some squash plants, um, there's beetroot, uh, leaves from chard and spinach. We put those into a curry last night. Uh, so yeah, still quite a lot of celeriac to come. They're still sort of bulk, bulking up. And uh, I'm looking forward to those um, Chinese artichokes that I wrote about mm. not so long ago. Actually, you mentioning runner beans there. We, uh, My first batch, I love them too, by the way. Um, my first batch just got annihilated by aphids. So we put in a second batch to kind of see whether we could get a late crop. And they're coming on really well. So I've got to hold out, have I, if we... Oh, I would. Yeah, I would hold they're out. Gone, they're flowered and they're start, we're starting to get the first little beans pods on them. So yeah, if mm. I just hold out... Oh, no, should they should do yes. well. You're, you're in Ipswich too, are you? I'm in Essex, a nearby, yes. Essex, so, yes. yeah. Still hopefully warm enough. Yeah, I think <laughs> you should get away with it. it. It just depends on the weather, but I always think it's worth the gamble you know our growing season's not that long is it so I think pushing the boundaries at each end if you've got the time and you've got the seed is is often Mm, a really good idea so talking about bumper runner bean harvests seems like a (laughs) a good lead into the question that we always like to start people off on can you tell us about any of your real growing successes well from this year I start I tried the pea bean 
for the first time. Uh, I don't know if either of you have grown it in the past, have you? Oh, no. No. Uh, I was curious about it, and I think I came across the seeds at a show a couple of years ago, and I'd bought them, and I hadn't sown them, hadn't got around to sowing them. Mm -hmm. And you're attracted to the seed because the seed itself is so attractive. It's um, it's one of those bicoloured seeds that's sort of white and a really dark maroon. Yeah. And so you see them in the packet, and you want to own them. <laughs> so I got the seeds, and I thought, well, I, I really must sow those this year. And so I sowed them and treated them rather like a French bean. And in fact, they are really a variety of French bean, I think. Mm -hmm. I was expecting something that was like a kind of hybrid between a pea and a bean. Mm. But you get a plant. I grew them like runners. And in fact, they reach the height of a runner bean. So they do need that climbing frame. And they were watered just like runner beans or French climbing French beans. They produce small sort of creamy colored flowers and then short pods that are about I don't know four inches long that would be what's four inches in new money uh, I should be able to convert by now shouldn't I <laughs> ten, well four inches anyway <laughs> it's 10 centimeters isn't it and uh and, and the the great thing you think oh they're a bit fiddly are these going to be worth growing but then you realize that they don't go stringy so you mm. can leave them on the plant for quite uh -huh. a long time even when the seeds are growing quite big in the pod and still harvest them and find that you can uh, cut them quite easily without any kind of stringing so they're a really good thing to have I think and they're quite a meaty textured bean but yeah. they don't taste like a pea at all and uh, I'm leaving some on so I can collect some seed as well. So they've been a really good success. And how do you cook those? Do you cook them up in the same way that you would peas? or Same as you do for the... You, well, you can do a variety of things. I've been taking them fresh and then slicing them and cooking them as you would for a French bean or a runner bean. And mm. they don't take long at all to cook. You know, in, in plunging them in very fast boiling water, they'd be done in about four three or four minutes oh, wow. so they cook really fast but you can harvest them as a bean to dry so that you could uh, soak those and possibly pre-boil them a bit and put them in uh, soups and stews so mm -hmm. you know they're a storing yeah. bean as well will you be um keeping any of yours for use like that i might try a few just as an experiment uh, but I, I, I haven't really got into the habit of using a lot of uh, beans that I've got to soak mm. because obviously most of the legumes, if you've dried them, they they build up some sort of a poisonous substance in them, don't they? So mm. you've got to treat them in some way before you can use them. So you have to be careful that you know what you're doing. And I suppose sometimes it's easier to just get them out of a can. <laughs> she said, cheating wildly. And I also love to eat them fresh. So yeah. I think if anything, I'd probably just freeze a punnet or two if I had some left over. Mm. But no, I'd like to play with drying them and, and, and using them that way yeah. a I, bit more. I do think that's a really good point about wanting to use them fresh because I often think with some of some of the stuff that I grow, you kind of think in the middle of winter, oh, I wish I'd had the foresight to preserve some of these but actually at the time you think oh it's all so lovely when it's fresh that yes. just want to eat yes it. <laughs> I think in times gone by when people couldn't go to the shops and get the fresh produce and they couldn't go and buy a can of something or a frozen packet of something it was really vital that they did save and store like that and dry the beans but we don't really have the need to do that now quite so much do we no. because we assume that we can just go and buy it yeah absolutely 
I mean, I suppose unless we do go into another lockdown, in ah, which case, yeah, well, <laughs> we probably well, can't. Yeah, well, mo- mo- we didn't really have food shortages, did we? It was just people who were wondering that we might. <laughs> so, yeah. hope, hope. But it is kind of reassuring. I think I think that's something people woke up to the the ability to grow food and supply food locally was really became quite important in people's minds. Yes, absolutely. Um. So moving on from the success stories we sort of ease you in (laughs) gently there we'd love to hear about any of the things that haven't gone quite so well so do you have any of those for us oh there's always a few of those isn't there um I think the biggest failure for me this year was courgettes Mm. now courgettes it's been a problem year for courgettes hasn't it because they were in the press because some people were getting bitter courgettes yes I didn't get those but I sewed now this is this is me getting into a muddle, isn't it? And I shouldn't confess to this really because I'm supposed to know what I'm doing. And this is the place properly. to confess, though, Anne. Don't worry. <laughs> the we dirt. won't judge. This is the a dirt. safe space. <laughs> um, a safe space. Yeah. Um, so I sewed from packets. I know what I sewed, but I didn't necessarily get what I was expecting. I sewed some squash called Rolle, which are a small gem squash, and I sewed courgettes, ordinary. Mm bush courgettes and I sewed some patty pans which I was always also expecting to grow like a bush and produce Mm. those sort of flying saucer shaped Mm. fruits Uh, got them a little bit muddled up but I planted them out and some of them were in between uh, runner bean wigwams because I thought well they'll slot in nicely there and I put them where they would catch the sun they grew and they didn't do what it said on the can at all so instead of nice neat bushes with flowers and fruit I had these long vines that went on for about 12 foot I'm using old money again and they went they strangled the beans they climbed up the wigwams with the beans they were the vines they weren't quite as thick as my arm but you know what you know where I'm coming from (laughs) they they were scary triffids and I thought well I better wait and see what they do and they produced one of them produced stripy small fruits and the other one produced rather boring looking yellowy fruits so I tentatively picked them and I took them in and I cut them in half and I sort of licked them to make sure they weren't bitter because obviously it's the bitter tasting ones that have got too much cucurbitase in or whatever it is mm. in that's going to make them slightly poisonous to the system. Um, and I thought, well, I'll try eating them. I kind of sliced them and experimented with them and they weren't particularly palatable. And I decided that they were hybrids that had slightly gone wrong. And I even contacted um, a commercial seed producing firm and hybrid hybridizing firm a vegetable breeding company in fact Mm -hmm. and asked them what they thought had gone wrong with it and they said it it doesn't often happen but there's a very big you know obviously all the seed production happens abroad doesn't it in areas like there's an area of Italy the Bologna region where they have perfect seed ripening weather Mm -hmm. and so there are fields and fields of seeds being produced to go into our packets and uh they have to be very careful with squash because they're so promiscuous and yeah. they have to isolate them for several kilometres and they also have to make sure that neighbouring gardeners and other seed producers are not growing the same or not growing different varieties of wow. the same vegetable so that they don't get them crossing. And I suppose they only need a slight error in that and they could get some crosses whereby you have maybe some pumpkins crossing with summer squash or you could get some ornamental squash or something unusual crossing with your courgettes mm. and uh, they turn into something, the seed would then turn into something quite different. Yeah. So, yes, yeah, so that was that was my disaster, really. So I, where lots of people had more courgettes than they knew what to do with and I didn't have any. 
And I pulled them up because they were such a nuisance. Yeah. I, I have to say, I actually haven't had a great courgette year myself, but it is completely my own fault. And I think probably Blake and regular listeners will want to tune out with the thing in my garden I'm about to talk about. <laughs> but I've got quite a small garden for what I want to try and grow in there. And I'd pruned my fig tree back um, last winter. And then I had tried to do a tiny bit of small garden crop rotation and I'd moved my courgettes to next to the fig tree without remembering that that was going to grow enormous (laughs) and has shaded the I mean the poor courgette plant it's tried its level best and I think I've had about five from it (laughs) well better than me (laughs) at least you have five courgettes I don't have any but it's struggling on as a tiny little plant shaded by this enormous tree (laughs) I imagine there must have been quite a lot of uh, competition from the roots as well for the moisture yes yeah definitely I think um that's one of those things that you know in spring when you feel really really enthusiastic and just think it'll be fine (laughs) I think we all do a bit of that don't we yeah definitely I tend to run my kitchen garden like a forest garden I visited Martin Crawford's uh forest garden in Dartington oh some years ago now and I really love that idea of having a great mixture of everything and although it's it's not by any means on that kind of scale (laughs) it's just nice to have sort of fruit trees and herbs and some flowers with perhaps edible petals or whatever and all the veg in in different little areas all over the place and as long as you can keep tabs on the rotation I think that's it's a really nice way of growing them so you could Mm. convert a whole garden into that really couldn't you yeah yeah I think that's a really lovely way of doing things because I quite like the feeling of going into the garden and everything being all mixed in together and everything having a use and yeah I think that's really lovely and it's more beautiful and very good Mm. for wildlife as well in fact um, going back to Blake and his runner beans being attacked by green fly yeah I think sometimes my broad beans were badly attacked and but I, I didn't control the fly and I think that eventually so many predators and parasites built up on them they then controlled all the aphids and the rest of the plot for the rest of Mm. the year yeah so that often happens and sometimes it you know we're not in commercial production we don't have to produce crops do we so you know if if my crop was say half as good and I didn't get a full crop of broad beans I still had some (laughs) and at least I knew that this wonderful resource of goodies in the garden we're going to build up and attack all the baddies yeah. so that you know it's quite nice to watch that balance I think that's true and so, sometimes we lose sight of the fact that you know it doesn't matter too much if you don't get a, a mahusive you know glut of something it, it's not the end of the world and you can try again next year and ha- perhaps get a slightly better haul so yeah I think that's that's very true and there's also I think I don't know about you two but I I sometimes suffer from fear of missing out and I feel <laughs> yes. if I haven't managed to sow on time you know, I'm yeah. gonna, you know I won't get the crop and other people are getting it and you read about wonderful varieties and you think oh, I want to grow them all but you can't there's only so many growing seasons and so much space isn't there yeah definitely I think that's part of what makes growing so addictive though that you think well if I can't do that this year I'll try it next year and there's always something else on the horizon isn't there there's always something to 
aim for and look forward to. Yeah, yeah, I, I think we need that kind of wanting to grow, don't we? And that desire to grow and always thinking ahead. And, you know, there's always pictures in your mind of what it's going to turn out like, whether it does or not. <laughs> yeah. So I love getting new ideas and finding um, different things and ways to do things in the garden. So I was wondering whether you have any shortcuts or hacks of um, things that you found that really work for you that perhaps I could apply or the listeners could apply in their garden. I think I can probably think of one, but I'm one of those people that tends to go about things in a long and circuitous route. <laughs> and if there's a long cut, I'll usually take that. You right. should see me plant. You know, I take my runner beans very seriously. I also take seriously the fact that I don't want all the poles to fall down. And so I start. So the beginning of it is growing bamboo clumps and also hazel. And yes. so the process starts with harvesting the poles. And then I have to make really deep dibber holes in my clay with flint. So I have this big metal sort of pin that I whack into the ground to make the hole. And so you can see where I'm coming from. It's kind of long gardening rather than <laughs> short gardening. But one thing I do that is quite uh, time-saving maybe, but certainly money-saving, is if I've grown or even bought in a few plants of something like an expensive tomato, maybe um, sun gold because that they're quite pricey as seeds aren't they mm -hmm. and so sometimes if I only want three plants it's more it, it's it's almost more cost effective to buy the plants than it is to buy mm -hmm. the seed packet and risk them not all coming up so I've put them in and they grow and then I'm going to side shoot them because they're in the greenhouse growing as cordons so you know I don't want them to get out of control mm -hmm. and of course I root the side shoots to grow more so you could get away with just having one plant and at the beginning of the season they grow so fast with so many side shoots, you could be pulling those off and creating more plants all the way along so you've got a nice succession of those coming. And they're very, very quick to root. I mean, you just pop them in and along they go and then you can plant them out into some more borders, yes. pots or rings or yeah. growing bags, whatever you like. So I think that's a good one, taking tomato cuttings from side shoots. I like the fact that also with that you don't, not everything's going to come on at the same speed, therefore. So you are getting that succession that you, you might not get if you just sowed a whole packet's worth in one go in, in February or something, you know? Yeah, I think this is something you learn as you go on, don't you? It's it's lovely to have a big crop of something, but then, you know, if you're thinking in terms of supplying a kitchen, that doesn't really work. Yes. You need small batches. Mm -hmm. So you have to sort of rein back and try and remember to keep sowing things in small lots rather than everything at once. I think your tip there as well can definitely prove as an incentive for Blake and I to do better with our own side shooting because regular listeners will know that we have both confessed to being very, very, very lazy with side shooting. <laughs> <laughs> we always start with really good intentions and then yeah. it goes out of the window. It's like, so welcome I to the jungle if you step into my greenhouse <laughs> when I've got tomatoes growing in there. Oh, I love jungly greenhouses though. Yeah. They're so good, aren't they? <laughs> But I guess having something to do with the side shoots might actually give us incentive to do it, Blake. Yes, exactly. There is a danger there, isn't there? You can see where I'm going with this. If, <laughs> if you kept rooting all of your side shoots and then never side shooted again, you wouldn't be able to get into your greenhouses <laughs> at all, would you? need an assistant just to like help you hold back the plants as you go in to try and it, harvest them. That's right, and you'd come out sort of yellow, wouldn't you, and having to have yes. a shower because it's not like a tomato. <laughs> uh, the thing is, it's such a the smell of tomato plants is such a lovely summery smell as well isn't it that I always think when you're sort of wading through them to 
to harvest the tomatoes, you come out and thinking, oh, that lovely summery smell. Everywhere. Yeah, and you cannot get away with trying to steal them from somebody because, you know, if I, like <laughs> nipping and think, oh, I'll just, I'll just pop one in my mouth. You know, you come out and you're stinking of tomatoes. So. And, you're, and when you wash your hands. Of course, not that we're advocating. <laughs> oh, yeah, we wouldn't dream of advocating that anyone went and stole someone else's tomatoes. So... <laughs> <laughs> oh. um, I know that this is often quite a difficult question when, you know, when you've had a career in horticulture, but it has there been over the time that you've been growing one particular lesson that has stood out to you? Um, I'm not sure about one lesson, but I think, well, I think perhaps it was one lesson. Yes, because you, you know, you only get so many opportunities to try growing in different areas, don't you? Mm. And I was brought up in the southeast of England, so I started off in North Kent on a fairly stony loam, I guess. And then I gradually moved west, but just across London and gardened at Kew and then at Wisley. And I had an allotment at West Byfleet in Surrey. We lived at Cobham, which is very similar. So, you know, all the time I'm in the sort of drier southeast climate on fairly light soils, quite hot, you know, hot summers, hot and dry, not so much water, mm. very light dew at night. And then we moved down to East Devon 22 years ago, and the difference is absolutely amazing. It's so much more damp down here. Mm. Um, it's not, it, we don't perhaps get quite such cold weather, but we're in quite a chilly valley, so it's not the mildest part of Devon. And Yes, quite a lot of rain and a really heavy clay soil too with flints. So it's so different. And I just think that, it, it, you know, in a small island like ours, you would expect the growing conditions to be quite similar all over, but they really aren't, are they? Mm. And, no. and when we're writing and speaking, you have to kind of bear in mind that um, there's such a wide variety of growing conditions. And even in one garden there is, isn't there? Yeah. So I suppose moving moving away to a very different soil and climate did shake me up a bit and make me realise how different things are all around the country, more yeah. so than perhaps I'd ever thought. So what were some of the biggest challenges that you faced when you made that move? Uh, probably moving all my plants because <laughs> there were a lot of them. Uh, it, it was really adjusting, yes. I mean, my dad was the keen vegetable grower when I was a child and he eventually moved down too, and I think he found it very different. And it, mm. the idea of no dig and of having slightly raised mounded beds so that the surface doesn't get waterlogged, um, we're on slightly sort of shady north-facing side of the house as well, which is fine in the spring and summer, autumn, but it's very slow to dry out and warm mm. up in the spring. And it does make an, a difference to, to when you sow and and, and also how you treat your soil. So really not walking on the soil is, is essential. I suppose I had experienced Barnsdale, but I wasn't really growing up there. I was just visiting it on a regular basis in the years when I used to take part in um, uh, uh, presenting on Gardener's World. And mm. obviously Jeff Hamilton had quite a sticky clay soil. Actually, it was more clay than this down uh, this in my garden. Um, but I wasn't gardening there all the time, so it didn't really quite take hold <laughs> yeah. but yeah it's, it's different yeah I think you've got to respect your soil wherever you are if it's very light you've got certain advantages but you've got to keep piling in the organic matter and if it's heavy you've got to protect the structure haven't yeah. you um so when you when you moved to your new garden and you said it's um a lot more sort of clay than you were used to yeah how um was it just the 
adding of organic matter or how did you sort of overcome that initially it was yes it was we dug initially but then we just cap the soil with mulch now um but we grow we make all our own compost so I'm afraid that mulch does have weeds in it so although um no dig is often recommended as a way to avoid weeds in fact I'm adding them every time I add a mulch because (laughs) my compost heaps are not that efficient they're not massive and I don't I might turn them once but I'm not always turning them Mm. and I add in manure from my horse as well so that probably contains a load of weed seeds and so weeds do come up but I just if you don't tread on the soil and you keep mulching it it is incredibly light in this in the top layers so it's so easy to pull the weeds out you can just grapple mm. them out you mm. don't have to dig them out and so I just use them as more compost fodder so I don't mind really and also you get interesting surprises like borage sunflowers heartsease pansies so it's quite nice yeah. really some yeah. of them are not necessarily weeds Blake, you had a surprise sunflower this year, didn't you? I did actually. It's it, um, it's grown up through my patio, and it's still there. Um, and the first head's kind of died off now. It's going to seed, and then I've had these like four new buds come out, and they're flowering right now, and it's really, really pretty. So that was a nice accidental uh, gift from nature. And they're so nice, aren't they? In, they just feel very autumnal. The, the you know the shades of yellow and russet that you get in them just Absolutely. seem to suit the season. And honestly, from one flower, from one plant, the amount of bees that come to my garden just for this one sunflower is incredible, actually. And then you'll get all the birds coming for the seeds. Yes. And then the seeds will recycle in your compost heap and come up again. (laughs) (laughs) So then you have next year's surprise sunflowers. (laughs) Absolutely. I I always get at least three or four surprise ones. I usually grow some as well and plant them out, but the surprise ones always seem to do better. (laughs) (laughs) They're more deeply rooted. They go straight down. So I suppose we ought to sow them direct, really. I, I start the ones I do purposefully in pots but I guess if you just popped the seeds in, they would really yeah. be much more self-supporting, wouldn't they? They wouldn't topple quite so easily. Well, thank you so much for joining us today and for sharing your knowledge and wisdom with us. Well, it's been great fun. Thank you very much for inviting me. Um, it's been lovely chatting. And Laura, I guess we should get Rose and do our team chat. Hi, everybody. Hi, bye. How are we all doing? Good. Good. I can't believe this is the last episode of series two. It's gone so fast. Where has the series gone? God, it's sad. Time flies when you're having fun. It really does. So let's make this chat a good one. There's pressure now to make (laughs) it even better. (laughs) You you agreed to go first as well, Rose. I know, I know. Let's start us with a bang. Yeah. So are you planning on growing plants this autumn i'm sure you are i don't know whether i am going to do that much this autumn no that's fair enough although the rhs would would say you do need to you need to be growing some stuff this autumn because apparently they've launched um, a new campaign called grow at home this autumn yeah basically saying how autumn is just as important as spring if not more important to get outside and get gardening Uh for lots of different reasons but for some that I didn't realize I think it's kind of related to climate change so as we know sort of our springs are actually 
becoming a lot more drier and in autumn apparently the soil is actually sort of the best for planting things because it's a lot more sort of moist and warm Mm -hmm. because as you can imagine it's been warmed up throughout the whole of the summer so and probably had a bit more rain so it's not as dry so it's a lot more it's a lot more beneficial to be planting things um as opposed to the winter that actually makes a lot of sense yes um as well um so they did a survey which was commissioned so they commissioned YouGov to do a survey um to get some research and almost seven in ten people think spring is the most important gardening season compared to just eight who think autumn is so I think they're trying to sort of turn the tables on this and get people to think more about how important autumn is for growing um and they also actually said that trees are better planted in autumn or winter as opposed to spring Um, autumn is best for planting trees in clay soil which can be gooey in the winter Mm. um, and some and can be very hard in the spring but not only 22 percent of adults think trees should be planted in autumn and only eight percent in winter so yes um, and also a lot of people said they don't know when to plant trees 32 percent said they don't know when to plant them so yes it's important time in the autumn to get planting but also to be growing and planting your trees so I just thought it was so don't give up yet no keep on growing I think there's um I don't know maybe people get a bit sort of tired by autumn (laughs) almost you've sort of got a bit of that gardening fatigue maybe because you've sort of been busy all over spring yeah um and that's fair enough but also I think it's yeah don't give up it's like almost the last little push and you'll really reap the benefits in spring if you've done a lot of gardening now you don't have to go crazy or anything but even if you sort of planted your trees now rather than in spring they might actually get started and grow a lot better than if you planted them next year your dad Laura he always says about putting in his broad beans over doesn't he do it on bonfire bonfire night yeah Yeah. so he gets a little head start oh that's such a nice little I do also think if we all consider what our gardens have done for us this year let's give them a little something back over the over the autumn and winter months yeah give them some love I thought you were gonna say um let's give our gardens a round of applause there I was like oh okay I'll start clapping we can do that as well if you want (laughs) I feel like that our gardens deserve maybe yeah we deserve a round of applause just as much but our gardens have um they've been through some tough times too this is true it can't all just be take 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 can it you've got to give back at this time of year now yes lots of mulching and things Mm. well Putting new plants in over autumn sort of brings us nicely onto a story that I've found on The Guardian. Um, It's James Wong's most recent article on there. If you are looking to add to your garden this autumn, be careful about where you're getting your plants from because he is talking about illegal plant trafficking. (gasps) Did you even know that was a thing? No. No. Honestly, I didn't. Well, he has said that social media has done incredible things for gardening, opening up sort of new techniques, giving people an insight into it. But he said that there have been some more problematic practices that have seen a plethora of wild, collected, sometimes endangered plants flooding social feeds and auction sites, he says. He's also said that non-specialists would assume that you'd have to delve into the dark web and that sort of thing, like (laughs) drug dealers to find these trafficked plants. But actually, it's not the case. And they're quite often on your standard internet auction sites and alongside legitimate plants. So you don't 
actually know that you're buying something that you shouldn't be. That's quite shocking, isn't it? Um, And he said that there are some clear warning signs if you know what to look for. So this is a really useful, um, really useful feature to have a look at if you're in the market for something a bit unusual in the garden. Um, But he said that these trafficked specimens are unlikely to survive at home and will likely die within weeks. And and he also said that a telltale sign of trafficked plants is photos that show them growing in the wild or freshly dug up because they'll be obviously in their natural environment that they grow well in. Whereas if they're growing here, they'd be dead. So um, I think have a read of the feature. Keep your eye out. Be savvy. If something doesn't feel right, it probably isn't. It can be so easy to get whisked away by this really cool tropical Mm. plant that you think you've never seen before but then perhaps maybe you just need to have your Mm. wits about you it reminds me actually of a story that he didn't I think it was James Wong not that long ago in the garden and that was about whether if you go into a plant shop and you cut off like a little bit of a plant is that thievery I don't know why it made me think of that as well but it was that Mm. sort of like um I don't know I think he's quite good at sort of rooting out uh these like <laughs> things that you don't really yep <laughs> pun <laughs> good pun <laughs> um these things that you don't really think about like i think when you think of gardening you think oh it's so like sweet and nothing and like shady could ever yeah. could go on but like yeah there's like things where he was saying people go into garden centers and you because plants are expensive like and people will be sort of taking a, a propagation that's so sneaky <laughs> That's the equivalent of going into the pick and mix and like nicking a few, isn't it? Where you're like, it's not really a crime, but but is it? It's know, like it must, yeah, it yeah. It technically isn't your property, and you can grow like I guess it's a bit different with pick and mix because you just eat it, and consume it. You can't grow more pick and mix, no. <laughs> yeah, you can't grow from cuttings with pick and mix. Um, but with plants, yeah, I guess you can produce and get money from it. So yeah, I have to say though, I'm such a dweeby little square that. That hadn't even occurred to me. <laughs> like I hadn't even considered that you could go into a garden centre and take a cutting from a plant. Yeah, and it's like a real problem. Like people will go to these like high end garden centres and like sneaky cut cut off something, and then um, people um, people have worked in the garden centres have been like, "I've just seen you just put a leaf in your bag. Like, what are you doing?" <laughs> and they're like, I, it's, "I haven't." And then I feel like it. It sounds stupid, but it's it's. I think it's like it's must be a massive problem for like a lot of you know people trying to make their business with their plants and stuff so yeah I don't know why it was I guess it's sort of along the the same sort of line well and one one more tip um that he says in this feature is that location can be a dead giveaway for these trafficked plants so he says if your seller is located in China or Thailand but doesn't clearly mention the necessity of purchasing the official and expensive certification imported plants need do not make the purchase there you go so keep yourself safe do your research buy legal plants don't venture to the dark web to find your plants no (laughs) <laughs> I wouldn't even know how. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> how does one access that? Yeah. Well, on a slightly more positive note, I was reading, I was having a little hunt for stories today, and I came across um something from Wales Online mm. about 
the headline was the mini allotments which are sprouting up in a surprising part of Swansea. And it's a quite a recent thing where a crowdfunding project where they wanted to turn some of their concrete spaces or unused spaces into room to grow. So um, they crowdfunded over a thousand pounds uh they've started up they've got over 30 volunteers already oh. and it's going really really well and they're growing lots and lots of food what they have been um i think over the summer that's so good yeah so it? a great little way to use up every bit of space in the city um and perhaps spaces that have been neglected give them a bit of a spruce up but also use them for something really practical and that people local people can get involved with so I thought that was quite fun Um, and I had a little hunt on their Facebook page and there's like a video of a local graffiti artist like spray painting the side of these concrete raised beds making them just look really attractive this is such a cool idea like turning something I'm sure that you know there's certainly areas where I live where I look and I'm like that really needs a bit of TLC you know or just somebody mm. to come along and do something with that neglected space that's clearly just been left do it Blake. um so I'm not sure I quite have the time or the energy to start something like this up but <laughs> maybe somebody listening does in their area and if you do give it a go and it might be worth actually checking out this it's called the room to grow project so if you're looking for some inspiration on what you can do or how to get it started up have a little read about um them if you google their name then they'll pop up and you can have a little look and see what they've been up to and and take inspiration for yourself oh that sounds so great I'm definitely going to look that up once we've finished chatting yeah um I think one of the people that started up um, Mike said we're surrounded by empty gardens it just seemed a great opportunity to start growing something valuable which I thought was nice and um definitely resonates with me Mm. so I thought it'd be nice to end on a little positive story like that absolutely there's been so many great initiatives coming out of lockdown I found like whenever I sort of look online there's been so many or people or groups that maybe they had to change the way that they did things because of um lockdown and coronavirus but yes. have actually sort of done so many amazing things so I love that story I think as well at the moment and I remember we said this you know when we were actually in the lockdown and um we were catching up with our quick and dirty episodes each week quick and dirty uh, <laughs> We were saying how there was just so much, the reason why we wanted to do that really was because there was so much bad news around at the time. Mm, And I guess there still is really, but it's nice when you come across a story that is a bit more positive like that, because I think we all need a bit of happy news sometimes. 100%. I've really loved doing this series. It's it's definitely been up there with the first one that we did, hasn't it? Yeah, it really has. And it's been so fun and we've had so many great guests and Makes me excited for the next one. I know. And to round the series off, I have some jobs on the plot for us. But beforehand, Blake, shall we crack open a beer? If you love to kick back with a cold and refreshing beer at the end of a hard day's work on the plot, then we've got an offer you won't want to miss. The kind people at Beer 52 are offering a free case of eight craft beers sourced and curated from the best breweries on the planet. All you need to do is go to www.beer52.com forward slash dirt and cover the 5 95 for postage. 
Each case is delivered directly to your doorstep, so no need to leave the house. If dark beer is not your thing, you can simply choose the light option and your case will come with the award-winning beer magazine ferment and a tasty snack. We've been lucky enough to enjoy a case ourselves and the choice and quality of the beers is fantastic. You'll get different beers every time, so can go on a real voyage of discovery and find your new favourite breweries and beers. So, to claim your eight free craft beers and just cover the £5.95 postage, head to www.beer52.com forward slash dirt. That's the word beer followed by the numbers 5 and 2.com forward slash dirt. And now, we will head over to this week's Jobs on the Plot. If you want to scratch that growing itch this week, fear not, you still can. Crops such as lettuce and garlic are ideal for sowing now for overwintering and they can be started off in pots. If you're lucky enough to have an undercover space, such as a greenhouse, it's also a good time to get calibres started, which will mature come the spring. You aren't too late to think about veg for the Christmas table either. Forcing varieties of carrot can be sown now for sweet, tender baby roots on the big day. It's also a good time to think ahead to next year's strawberry harvests. Beds can be started now so the plants can settle in before they start cropping next summer. To boost those beds, order cold stored runners from specialists now in time for late winter delivery. Keep on top of hoeing weeds while they're still springing up. If you leave them, you may well be confronted with behemoths in spring once they've had the chance to really take hold. So get them while they're still little. There's still plenty of picking to do, from potatoes to onions which need to be carefully dried and stored, to those last tomatoes and aubergines which may need a helping hand to ripen. We'd love to see what you've been growing, so do get in touch on our social media platforms and send us your pics. You may have started slowing down on your watering regime, but do keep an eye out for any hot spells and remember to reach for the watering can in any September hotspots. We hope you have a lovely week in the garden and until next time, happy growing. Thanks again for listening to The Dirt and don't forget to subscribe for free to make sure you never miss an episode. We'd love it if you rate and review wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to tell all of your lovely garden and allotment neighbours. Plus, as a special treat, we've got an exclusive Grow Your Own magazine offer just for the dirt listeners. Head to growfruitandveg.co.uk forward slash gpod7, that's G-P-O-D and the number 7, or call 0800 904 7000 and quote GPOD7 to receive seven issues of our magazine Grow Your Own straight to your door for just $29.99. That's $11.94 off. Every issue is edited by me and the team and is packed with gardening advice and jobs to tick off your list and a big bonus. Each magazine comes with a selection of free seeds so you can get growing straight away. Check the episode notes for details and terms. And a final exciting note, do you or someone you know have great gardening advice, dirty gardening secrets or funny plot disasters? You could be our next podcast guest. Email thedirt at growfruitandveg.co.uk to let us know.